You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. In this episode, we speak with John Hoeksma, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Digital Health. We discuss what is next for digital health following the rapid transformation during the COVID-19 pandemic. We speak about the importance of funding in the industry and talk about how tech companies might be looking to the healthcare industry to expand. All views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode and today we have John Hoeksma on with us. I'm so thrilled to have you here. How are you doing today, John? Oh, I'm doing brilliantly, thanks, Marla. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here, especially now because you're kind of part of the RSM Digital Health family, is that fair to say? <laughs> well, we're super pleased, um, and thanks for the link there, great segue, um, to be hosting uh, the RSM's Digital Health um, folks um, at Digital Health Rewind coming up um, on the uh, 15th to 19th of March. And the afternoon of the 18th, that's the Thursday, we have a brilliant program of partnership with the RSM Digital Health section on the digital transformation of medicine. Clearly, it's been a terrible, terrible year in, um, in, with the pandemic, but um, dare I say that you know, digital health has had a good crisis. Um, you know, we, we have seen traffic just explode on, on the news site. So we do daily kind of news on digitalhealth.net. I've got a small, very good um, news team just writing about um, all matters, kind of health IT and digital health day in, day out. And um, what we've really seen this year that's been complete transformation is rather than that just being to a professional audience of IT professionals and, and, and NHS um, folks um, and suppliers, we've suddenly seen massive numbers of um, um, just general kind of public interested in what's happening. Um, and, you know, every time we've written anything about the NHS app, we've seen kind of traffic just kind of go through the um, ceiling. It's interesting to see what you have seen as the biggest stories, because for, for a lot of us, we've been sitting here seeing, you know, digital appointments, online healthcare, accessing remote, you know, remote monitoring tools, all of these things that we've touched on in other episodes as well has been, has been the things that we've talked about. But actually from your end, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like that's the big hype. Do you see that we've actually been making the big changes that everyone's been discussing? So I think I think the things you've covered in previous episodes, kind of Marla, um, you know, that 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 massive transformation um, to remote working and to remote care that happened from March last year happened almost overnight. Um, you know, absolutely, I think, dominated the the kind of news agenda that we write about. It wasn't necessarily the thing that got read most, but that that was the long running stuff that got most attention. And um, I think. All of our kind of coverage over the past year um, has had two threads to this, which is one that emergency response has been truly remarkable. How quickly that was achieved and how people kind of did remarkable things in incredibly short of time to do it. Amazing. There's no other kind of um, description for it. Um, But as someone who's kind of um, been covering this patch for a long time, one of the most enduring kind of um, themes is proper in-depth, under-the-skin digital transformation um, of NHS organizations and systems takes years, decades. Um, And 
I, I think a lot of what, what's been kind of described as this watershed moment, this kind of, you know, um, tipping point um, isn't. I think it's, it's been a remarkable emergency response, um, you know, getting people on laptops, remote care, attend anywhere, um, you know, remote consultations, most of which, let's remember, was still telephone rather than video. Um, and all of that's been amazing, but, but it hasn't been the the complete channel shift that's going to endure uh, beyond this. I think what has come from it is an absolute complete step change in, in perceptions of what digital is capable of doing. And, and that lift experience we've all had of, you know, talking to family and friends on Zoom, spending many of us kind of, you know, not dealing with patients frontline sat in front of a laptop all day long to the point we want to bang our head against the keyboard. You know, it, it has forever, I think, um, sort of destroyed the idea that the NHS can't do digital at scale um, incredibly quickly. You say, John, do you think that we have made culture change? I think so. I, I think it's probably still a little bit early to tell because we're still in the same kind of emergency you know this is still this endless kind of wave one that one day has to end um we we do an annual survey marla of um nhs it leaders and and we always include some uh, more topical questions in there um, this year got about 200 kind of um, nhs cios ccos and similar responding and we ask some questions about do you think that there has been a a permanent kind of shift in attitudes um of tr trust board members um and overwhelmingly, they said yes, um, that the boards in particular, uh, more so in fact than kind of, um, than kind of um, clinical staff, um, had, had a different view on digital um, and, it, and its potential kind of going forward. Um, now, whether, whether as the crisis recedes, that, that begins to fall back a bit, as you'd expect, um, I still think that that's going to be one of the things that when we look back on this, it's going to be the, the moment where, um, where you know, leaders across the system really stopped having any lingering doubts that maybe digital is a bit of a sideshow. It's something for the techies in the basement to kind of focus on. Um, but that, that's my suspicion. I love what you're saying here because I think the question that everyone keeps posing and you know, people that ask questions after these episodes, they they keep asking whose responsibility is this? Whose responsibility is this? Is this something that is gonna be, be long lasting as you're saying? Is like proper transformation going to be happening, going to be sustainable? And I, I have a lot of worry to be honest. I have a lot of worry when I look at the hope in the industry and perhaps the, the over-promising that we have that how much can be changed from, from digital transformation. And, just hearing what you're saying there, I, I mean, like, do you do you have any do you have any thoughts in particular on who's going to be the champions driving this forward going on? Do you think it's going to be the patients? Do you think it's going to be the clinicians or maybe the the actual management teams in the NHS or maybe private companies? Who's going to be pushing this forward after the wind of COVID? So. Well, I think it's going to be it's going to be a mixture of different things happening at the same time, and um, and so I'll give you I'll give you the optimistic stuff, and then I'll give you the the kind of the negative doom and gloom stuff if you like. Yeah? So I think on on that kind of lived experience of the past year, 
Um, I just don't think patients are going to accept this idea that they have to go back to um, some pretty archaic manual kind of um, processes um, for appointments, for going in for kind of follow-ups when frankly they don't really need to. Um, and I think we will see that progression from remote care to virtual care in quite a lot of areas. And I think we're beginning to see that happening um, at scale. Um, you know, small straw in the wind, but there was a story out, um, we had a press release on yesterday um, where Diabetes UK is doing a really big at scale um, initiative with Fitbit over the next um, few years. And, um, and, and th those types of things that I think just gonna become more and more kind of um, commonplace, more mainstream. Um, and the scale of those initiatives is getting sort of bigger and bigger. Um, you know, we're seeing it with virtual wards, the big push towards that um, at the moment um, as well. Um, so I think patients will, will demand it. Um, I think um, that a lot of those kind of reservations about kind of let's, let's take it easy and not do too much um, have been changed by this massive upheaval we've, we've gone through. I think the technology's got better. Um, I think um, digital health as therapy is beginning to be proved out quite a number of areas. Um, pain management being a good example, um, for instance. Um, mental health has been a kind of great one for quite a while. Um, but I think the thing that, that, that potentially is, is the really kind of big thing that's going to drive this um, is not just the, the demand, the technology getting to the right place, it's going to be money. Um, the public finances are going to be in such a pile of state um, when we come out the other side of this that I think radical redesign um, of how we deliver services and putting far more of a self-serve model for routine self-care um, is just not going to be, there's going to be no alternative. Because of the money, which is, as you're saying, is, is really the crux of it all. You can have all the hope and intention in the world, but who's going to fund it? Who funds it right now? Tell me, who, <laughs> who funds this right now? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's a, a lot of kind of the kind of successful digital health companies, you know, Babylon being a, a good example. They've, they've got some, you know, in the UK, some big NHS contracts, but a lot of it's, um, you know, essentially kind of private um, um, health bought for convenience um, by, you know, relatively kind of affluent um, consumers. Um, that's a good market. And, you know, we, we spend a fortune as a society on nutraceuticals, health and beauty products. You know, we were talking before the call began about my dog. My dog, I may as well direct half of my kind of salary directly to the vet. It will just cut out the middle, man. Um, you know, we, as a society, we spend a lot of money on things which are perhaps a little bit peripheral mm -hmm. compared to really good healthcare. So I, I think it's a perfectly valid and important market, the kind of, um, you know, that, that pain for convenience, pain for choice for a set segment of society. Clearly, that's not an option for kind of um, everyone. Yeah? But um, I think that part of it will grow considerably. Um, and we're already seeing that. See, my, this is my two cents on it, right, is, is that my, my, I worry why you look at America and it's broken healthcare system, of course, and in a lot of ways, but what they do is they invest privately into prevention a lot better than we do because yep. private companies benefit from the other end of it. You know, you, you invest in it and then on the other side of it, you have less money to be paying out for operations, cardiac disease, et cetera, et cetera. Here, 
that upfront investment is 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 difficult to justify when we you know when we're living in a society where there's so much acute problems and private doesn't seem to be putting up the same amount of investment because you know, let's say your uh, insurance provider or something, you might you might swap insurance provider in a few years. There's only a small co of, a cohort of people that are looking at private private um, uh, healthcare as well, and and you know purchasing via an app or a digital therapeutic, etc. So, I I I think that personally, the the way that we're going here might might not be so innovative in this and make that big change that we want to see because consumers and, and they are consumers for the healthcare market patients and consumers are, are not behaving in the in the way that um that we could predict by looking at different countries here in the uk what do you think i don't know am i rambling <laughs> no not at all so um so you know, you know what it, it's um the, the nhs's status as the you know national religion of this country is even more securely cemented by this you know it is the great british um, institution um, and, and rightly so um, but i do think that it's important to kind of recognize that that in most other european healthcare systems there is a strong public healthcare system and there is a larger private healthcare component to the healthcare system as well yeah? And I think it's important to be able to recognize that and talk about that without it being taken as we should wholeheartedly go to an American mm -hmm. red of tooth and claw um, healthcare um, system. Um, and I think what one of the kind of one of the big, big challenges that 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 is created for digital health propositions um, in the kind of UK kind of market is that people just don't have any real experience of paying for healthcare as a thing that they contribute to. Okay, there are some exceptions, of course, um, but but I think a lot of these kind of models about kind of you having some financial incentive in improving your maintenance of your health, um, of your lifestyle choices, underpin so many of those kind of, um, you know, um, consumer behavioral health um, approaches that it's very difficult to have impact without that. And um, at some point, I think that perhaps for an insurance model or something kind of similar has to come into the mix. If, if that part of the digital health promise is ever really gonna play out here in the UK, there will be a willingness to kind of um, make bigger kind of bets on digital health than we have seen kind of um, previously. And just to take, you know, what was the, the narrative around the NHS, um, you know, just before COVID hit? Well, it was promises to build another 40, 50 hospitals. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, of course we need hospitals. Yeah? But, but that, from my kind of perspective, uh, as a self-confessed train spotter on digital health, I, I kind of absolutely admit <laughs> to that. Yeah? Um, We've had a train spotter. <laughs> oh, you're, you're getting the full mixed metaphors today. Yeah? <laughs> um, the it seems anachronistic. We we should be making really substantial investments in yes. kind of digital health um, and alongside kind of bricks and mortar. Um, and that probably does mean some disinvestment from, from 
um, from bricks and mortar that um, that you know that we would have otherwise have seen. Um, and the I think you know what one of the kind of things that that I'm struck by is actually the cost of um, what what's been required for the investment um, in digital health platforms that have been rolled out nationally um, during this crisis be pretty modest. Things like attend anywhere. It wasn't vast sums of money. Um, you know, teams, you know, okay, Microsoft don't give that, well, they were giving it away only so they could then charge afterwards. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they've rolled out teams across the whole of the um, NHS for a few hundred kind of a million. Um, you know, I think these are um, cost-effective um, interventions um, that we made. And I, I would strongly argue the case that we, we need to up the investment in the coming period. Um, so there's still that piece back to that enterprise world we were speaking about, where you've got to finish off the, the baseline digitization. There are still um, NHS provider organizations out there that are largely running on a ragtag of aging systems and, and paper and sticky tape. Um, and you've got to get them up to kind of um, mm -hmm. a decent baseline. I think one of the things that NHSX was trying to do uh, before the crisis hit was was try and kind of bootstrap some of those organizations up through things like its aspirin fund. And I'd certainly hope that that sort of stuff doesn't disappear um, in the near future. And we have seen, you know, the it's when COVID-19 happened, how many in, like uh, Innovate UK grants went out, how many uh, big investments went into, and even the Futures Fund and things like that to encourage investment into healthcare startups and innovation, but I, I'm really curious to see whether or not this new push for health, which is, is a big push for health now and health and well-being in a society and the importance of that. I wonder which big organizations, you know, I'm looking at the Ubers, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the, you know, all of these big household names, what they do now, what's, what's their next move? Or is all the small digital health companies going to get booted out the space and these big companies come in and just swallow it now that they're seeing it works? Um, well, we've seen some of that kind of um, happen already, where, you know, certainly in the US, um, Amazon's um, made acquisitions, um, Google's made acquisitions. Um, the, I mean, but, but in a slightly different way, one of the surprising things about digital health um, as a sector, not just in the UK, but um, in the US as well is, where is the Uber? Where is the Facebook? How come there hasn't been someone that's come out of left field and absolutely kind of come up with a, a model like Uber that uses existing infrastructure um, and just delivers a really kind of um, focused service kind of um, um, utilizing the components which are already available. Um, and I think it's difficult to point to one. There's, there's lots of niche success stories, but there's no runaway kind of um, segment kind of um, victor and i think what that really really points to is just how blooming complicated health is it, yeah. it's not easily repeatable time after time yeah it's not as simple as ordering a taxi and getting from a to b right you gotta go a to c to z to b to y to x like back you go <laughs> but but i suspect the best the best innovators um the ones that have got kind of um you know models that prove out that um, we'll be able to demonstrate kind of evidence who can find a kind of um, um, a market um, segment to kind of really kind of um, make their own. Um, some will scale, um, a lot of them will get bought, that'll be their kind of um, the route that happens and a lot more will fall um, by the wayside. And, 
Um, but you know, that the, the range of kind of um, of brilliant startups, of of innovators, of talented, talented, amazing people involved in that sector. Um, it's difficult not to be kind of drawn to it. So one of the things we do at, um, at Rewired is run PitchFest, which is a startup competition. Um, this year we had um, you know, over 50 kind of startups ranging from drones delivering um, transplant organs to robots, to AI, to oh digital gosh. therapies. And you can't kind of go through them without going, this is a sector which is just bubbling with um, creativity and innovation. Yeah? Do I know the business model for all of them? No, but, um, but the, the, the good stuff that's there is just amazing. Um, and um, you know, want to see as many of those succeed as possible. Wow, we are so looking forward to to our um, exciting events coming up in the coming weeks. And I think it's going to be fantastic to see what um, the future of digital health looks like. I need to get you back on and then we'll see if everything, if organ delivery via drones and etc. all comes true in like, <laughs> like a year's time. I have to evaluate all of this. <laughs> I'd love to come back, Marla. Oh, thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of the day. Will do. Thanks, Marlon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Digital Health Podcast series. I really enjoyed recording with John and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. If you would like to learn more about the Royal Society of Medicine, then please head down to the website and have a look at some of the events that we've got coming up. We'd love to have you there. Bye for now.